What what are you calling your podcast? Uh, I think I'm going to call it Agriculture at the Edge. Agriculture at the Edge. Okay. I'm on the edge of being a terrible agriculturalist. I think I've been recording stuff for like almost a year now, but I, I didn't have a good setup until this last week. And mainly I just started recording because I just thought it was just nice to listen to people in a different way. And I felt like recording kind of just, it made people better listeners. And I think the, the idea was that I just wanted to have as free form conversations as possible um, being recorded. And the idea of the agriculture thing was like this idea to do kind of this like it's not about agriculture. It's the fact that it's happening at, at an agricultural place. That's kind of what, what felt like important to me. And, and okay. whatever, whatever happens, like it doesn't have to be about like, I, I don't want to talk about farming really or <laughs> anything. I think like you that. said that on my podcast, it's like, I don't even want to do farming. <laughs> this is hard work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not just hard work, but like painfully difficult work. Which I'm, you know, keen on. I'm no good at digging holes. I know that for sure. Yeah. And then you're on the edge of the valley in a way. Yeah, and we're on the edge of a hillside. Yeah. Too, so it kind of seemed appropriate in all ways. Uh, and you're an edgy character. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got kind of a esoteric mind frame and set of ideas and I mean you 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 did some interesting uh work in school and and you've come through some really interesting things here in Ojai. Yeah.
so I just have this affinity, you know, to um, to farming. gardening and farming and sort of in my DNA. Yeah. <laughs> my grandfather would let me be in the garden with him, and I wasn't allowed to talk. The only thing I could do is like if I was if he was gardening and I was with him as a kid, I could um, I could I could um, sing or I could whistle, hmm. but I couldn't talk. <laughs> But you, you could work, though, mm. right? You had to work. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, maybe I just was a chatterbox, and he just didn't want to have to answer back to me or something. It just, you know, whistle and sing, and that's it. This is So this is also the part of me that, like, I'm, I used to be super comfortable with, and then I wasn't, and now I'm trying to work back into being comfortable. Like, I felt like about four or five weeks ago I was supposed to send you an email and just telling you that, like, you're doing good work and that, you know, I don't know, just like a really encouraging email. And and then I didn't because I was like, oh, I don't want him to think that I'm being weird or, you know, this or that. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think after listening to that last podcast, I was like, I was like, dang it. I should have sent him that email, you know, just because um, I don't know. I. I, I don't know Be, because I don't know I it I know that we all go through the dark you know the sort of dark night of the soul if you will um, and that there's I don't know but I I feel like a lot of the people that used to write about the dark night of the soul like some of them got it wrong and I think they thought that it was like something you had to go through in order to be a better version of yourself and I think that's just wrong. I think that the dark night of the soul kind of gives us scars so that we're gentle with people, you know, <laughs> you know, so that we're not as judgmental, that we're not as, we're not as hard on ourselves. I don't know. And so, I don't know. I, I kind of, this is going to sound weird, but it kind of hurts me in a way that you're going through what you're going through right now, because I want you to, I mean, it, it, feels like from all of our conversations you have a lot to offer the world and the people that you're around in a lot of ways I feel like the issues that I've had is really more about me being okay with myself and feeling right with the people around me than it is actually whatever I'm doing is the problem like my job's yeah. never been the problem you know yeah you know all that it's more it's so much more up here you yeah. know and so much more between people than it is anything else how have you changed well i went through that third adolescence and uh, then i settled down a lot and decided to get serious and tell me about the third adolescence well my third adolescence was really like a, a desire to move away from uh, the upper valley where I live again now and kind of see, I thought like I could do it better or something. And so I just kind of partied a lot in the mid 2000s. How old were you when you went through this third adolescence? Well, I was uh, in my mid thirties. Uh, I was born in 1970, so I'm 44 at the moment. And I'd say my third adolescence was like 2002 to 2008, probably. And what kinds of things were you thinking about? Um, pleasure. Escape. 
escape from? Uh, probably from my own mind and my own insecurities and my own um, angst and anger and, you know, like a, a lot of scrubbing probably from internal scrubbing from the way I grew up and things that I didn't want. It's it's really hard because I haven't really gone through therapy exactly. So I think I just had a lot of frustration, a lot of... Um, kind of poor-mindedness, lack mentality, um, hidden demons, anger. I had to work through a lot of sadness and anger, kind of. Probably self-imposed, but maybe from, like, watching the way I was raised play over and over in my mind. How were you raised? Well, I was raised uh, in the Pacific Northwest in a very gray, rainy town called Vancouver, Washington. Born near Seattle, raised near Portland. Um, conservative, Protestant, Christian sect called Seventh-day Adventism. Goes to church on Saturday. Believes in the second coming of Jesus. Submersion, baptism, baptism stuff like that. You know, good, good uh, Ten Commandment sort of with a kind of obedient religion biblically based with a their very own um, prophet called Ellen G. White who had a bunch of dreams and visions in the mid 1800s that kind of shaped the, the 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 destiny of the church and what its message was and uh, just you know uh, just I think the way my parents were they were kind of like uh pretty strict I guess and overbearing kind of mother is my mom gonna hear this um my parents are both gone were your mom and dad together when Oh, yeah, they were married 68 years. Hmm. Yep, they were together a long time. Yeah, good people. Good people, you know, immigrants from Italy work hard. Um, you know, build a life good values and one of the best things about uh, my childhood more or less or really growing up is that um, we had like I was telling you earlier is that uh, I grew up across the street from a mill still mill that was seven miles long but we had big gardens and chickens and but we had a summer home that we would go to in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and so it would just—that was sort of my saving grace as a kid—to get get away from the from the city and the billowing smokestacks and the trains and um, and my grandparents. So it was an extended family living with my grandparents and boarders. It was a four-story old, hundred-year-old house that was across the street from the still mill. 
and on the um, there was a basement and then there was a tavern so I grew up upstairs of a tavern and my grandparents ran so we did go to the summer home that was in the in the mountains of Pennsylvania and it was just fantastic um, it, when they first bought it in the 40s there was no running water and there was no bathroom and you had an outhouse and you carried water and then over the years and they just my brothers just sold it back in the late 90s so um, you know over all those years from the 1940s we would go there and and spend time and carry water and re-linoleum the floor and re-wallpaper the walls each year and um, you know build on it every year so it was a, it was a great learning experience even even my father into his late 80s continued to work on this house I mm. mean it's just like this ongoing project that went on and on and on so yeah it was really a wonderful place to go to and I, I miss it I miss the smell of the place I miss the the smell of the grass and it was on a stream and it was an old I mean it was over a hundred years you know old I mean it was built like a hundred years ago it was an old, old farmhouse so um, that we just kept renovating and renovating but it was a, a great place to get away to
as having something like having I don't say purpose or reason like for being here but like I've had some crazy people say things to me before there's this lady with a brain tumor that I knew who who was just way off before they found out she had the brain tumor and she'd been way off for a long time she was the kind of person that people avoided because she would like stop you and say and just talk to you like incessantly about something Mm -hmm. and it was and like I like just remember one day I said to myself okay I'm not gonna avoid her I'm just gonna go up and I'm gonna talk to her and so I went up and I talked to her and she starts talking and it's like I really stopped to listen to what she was saying and I was like this lady understands something about the way the universe works and about our reason for being here and all this stuff but the way she says it sounds crazy and the way she looks she looks crazy but it's like there's something glorious about what this lady is saying and it's unfortunate that we don't like yeah that we don't notice the creativity or that we don't notice the things that people create all the time um I don't know like and I guess it maybe goes back to my school experience people didn't appreciate what I could offer yeah you, you know and and I've been so inspired by the work that you've been doing because I just think I don't know how many people I, I mean I know enough about agriculture and I've been involved in enough of it to know that what you're doing is not um is not for the light of heart, <laughs> you know, but you've still been able to maintain who you are. And at least from what I can see, you're not so burned out that you're wanting to just run off to Tijuana and, you know, find a drug shack and just go for it. But, you know, it, you know, I don't days. know. Humans are just so much, so much more resilient than we give them credit for. There's so much, there's so much more, um, they they have so much more of a capacity for love and evil than we give them credit for, and and I'm I'm just in, yeah, I don't know. So love love and evil. Yes, yeah. both. You know, I mean, and it can come out of both sides of the mouth at the same time, which is just, I guess, if you're able to be reflective about it and it's not happening to you right away, it can be both like, what in the world? How can somebody that I love so much, or how can somebody that I appreciate so much, say some so hurtful? But then also be so loving. I, you know, it's just, I don't know. My stepdad right now is dying from, all, from, um, from, all, from complications of Alzheimer's and dementia. And he was somebody who was one of the most shrewd businessmen you'd, you would ever come across and was just really burned. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm listening. Okay. And he just burned a lot of bridges and was – he – he was just really mean in a lot of ways. Uh, well, in all ways, but then like towards the end of his life, I think something beautiful happened. It's like, I felt like when I was around 21, I felt like I needed to go and ask him to forgive me for the things that I had done to make his life hard, you know, which if you zoom way out, you go, dude, you were a kid and he did crappy things to you and your mom and he was really mean and all of this. Like, there's no way you need to ask him to forgive you for anything. And it's like, I think that's just the wrong stance. The stance was like, I, I can't be responsible for him. I can be responsible for me. And so um, in, in trying to be obedient to just clear myself of any kind of hate and evil in my own self, it's like, I need to know I need him to know that I recognize that I had a part in this, even if it's a small one. 
And it's like from that point on, he sort of started to soften up a lot. And, I, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't just me who started that, but but it kind of cracked the door so so that I could notice the loving things he was doing so that I could notice the way that he was trying or the way that the way he was trying to show love wasn't really a way that would be interpreted <laughs> by most people as love, but he was trying to show it in a way that actually was the only way he knew how to show love, you know? And, and so then for the last couple of years, like life had just won, like it, it, it had kind of beat him, you know, and you could, and you could see it in him. And it's like, so the only response from my perspective was we have to have compassion even if he was mean and evil to you in the past, like we have to show compassion because what happens when I get to that age, you know, I mean, it's not because I want somebody to be, to be nice to me when I'm old and I'm, you know, going through dementia or Alzheimer's, but, but it kind of is, you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, but so, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. 